and he will be called Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Welcome to today's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. You're invited to join us for a candlelight Christmas Eve services if you don't already have a church home. There are three services to choose from, 2, 3.30, and 5 p.m. Our online service will be at 3.30 on our website or YouTube channel. We're wrapping up our series, The Names of Christ, and today we're exploring the title, Prince of Peace. Here's Pastor Perry Duggar. I hope that this Christmas season has been a time for you to reflect on these names of Christmas as we've realized that Jesus is our wonderful counselor and our mighty God, our everlasting Father. And today we'll see the Prince of Peace. But each of these names reveals to us part of his relationship with us. We turn again to our series, Names of Christmas. And as I've said each week, the giver of gifts to children throughout the world goes by different names in different places. In Latin America, there's typically two that are focused on. There's a secular Santa who is known as Papa Noel. But most Christians and Catholics would, both evangelicals and Catholics, would typically focus on the baby Jesus as the giver of gifts on December 24th. And he's known as either Nino Jesus or Nino Deus. But the greatest gift received at Christmas is Jesus himself, the Messiah, the Savior. And he is the greatest giver of gifts which are all revealed in his names. I hope that you have meditated on it, that you've been able to take some time to think about the names of Christ. We know that they were given in a prophecy by Isaiah to King Ahaz of Judah in 735 BC. They revealed these names. Let's look at Isaiah chapter nine again. We turn there each week. I'll just begin at verse six. In the book available here, the Bible available here, it's page 555. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. You may be distressed about political occurrences, but do we realize that the kingdom of God is not threatened? Is not threatened. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Now Ahaz, when he heard these comforting words from Isaiah, likely assumed wrongly that Isaiah was predicting that a mighty ruler, a warrior of Judah would come and defeat the soldiers of the Assyrians. And that this same ruler would protect Judah and Israel from any other military enemies. But that wasn't what the prophecy meant. The prophecy could only be fulfilled by a divine Messiah King 
who would establish an invisible and eternal, a non-ending kingdom. Today we focus on the fourth name of that Messiah. It can be seen as a name or as a title. And today the focus is on Prince of Peace. Now the word peace, what does it mean? What does it mean to you? You gotta say it louder. Solitude. I don't know if that's everybody's idea. The introverts among us find peace that way. My wife wouldn't be one of those. <laughs> she, she needs, if she has too much solitude with just me, she needs some escape, so. <laughs> really? Yes, really. <laughs> The word peace is much broader. It's not typically that people would say solitude. Typically, they would say an absence of conflict. And the word from the Hebrew shalom, there's more than one Hebrew word translated peace, but shalom is not merely the absence of conflict or turmoil or danger. Rather, it communicates the idea of a positive blessing, a favorable circumstance. It includes the idea of being well or well-being, but more being whole, being complete, not fragmented, not confused. And, And part of what's essential to be complete is to be in right relationship with God. We are incomplete apart from God. Now, Zechariah, Zechariah was the father of whom? John the Baptist, very good. John the Baptist is known as the forerunner. He actually took the, um, the place of Elijah. And so in Luke chapter one, Zechariah, Luke chapter one, verse 78, And in this Bible, it's page 821. His prophecy included this. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us in the path of peace. And that path of peace includes peace with God, peace with others, peace within ourselves. You see, the Prince of Peace begins by providing peace with God. Are we born at peace with God? Some of us think we are, don't we? It's not not what the Scripture teaches us, because of a sin nature that we're born with, as well as <clears throat> sin that we have actually practiced, both are part of it, we're at odds with God. In fact, Romans 5.10 refers to us as enemies of God. We do our bidding, not God's bidding. We would not seek God. 
Sometimes we think we do, but the scripture teaches us that, that we, we are self-driven. So God took the initiative to pursue peace with us by sending his son to earth. Luke chapter 2, another one of these very familiar Christmas passages at verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, outside Bethlehem, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Which, that came from just the brilliant light that, that surrounds the presence of God. God himself is the source of light. But understand their fear because these are people who never saw street lights or any bright lights in the evening. They had oil lamps or the light from fires. And so you see, they were terrified, it says. But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now, we know the story. This baby would grow up, live a sinless life, die an undeserved death, accused of being an insurrectionist. And he would die by crucifixion, the Roman method of capital punishment. But he would die not for anything he had done, either against the Roman government or even against God himself. He was without sin. And so his death was as a substitute to pay for our sins. His resurrection would guarantee that God had accepted his death for our forgiveness, which resulted in our justification before God. Continue in Luke chapter 2. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Well, with whom is God pleased? All of humanity? No, Christmas cards imply that. But the scripture teaches us that God's pleasure and God's peace rest on those who receive God's son by faith. Look at Romans chapter five on the screen. Since, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, faith in what? We have peace with God. Faith in what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. 
Sometimes we understand faith, which can be translated trust or belief. We understand faith as something that we've mustered. And really, I think a better way of viewing it is it's dependence that the action of Christ in dying in our place was acceptable to God. It is sufficient for our forgiveness. There's another Hebrew word that's translated peace. Salem. But what it literally means is to repay, to reward, to fulfill, to be at peace. And so it refers to having a debt that you owe extinguished. If you have paid off your mortgage, you understand that peace. Probably not many of us have, although some of us are getting of the age that we need to have paid off our mortgages, aren't we? But that's what, that's what Salem actually means. We owed a huge obligation. It was like it was always pulling. <laughs> Forgive me. But the day it was paid off, there's that freedom because the bank wants nothing else. Well, they would like to get something else from you, but they have no rights to anything else. But when we have a debt to God because of our sin, there's an uneasiness in that relationship. But when we understand that our debt with God is canceled, we have Salem, we have peace. Because our great, our great sin debt, one that we could not pay, has been canceled. And God doesn't see us as flawed or as failures. I think sometimes we think God is watching us critically, but that's a misperception. When God looks at us, he sees us as righteous, as holy. He accepts us fully. And so we are freed from guilt and from shame. Some of us, even that that know Christ, seem to still dwell in this guilt and shame. But understand, that's self-imposed. That's not God-imposed. If you have trusted in Jesus, our Messiah King, our Deliverer, then you are in right relationship with God. And you are no longer indebted to him. But don't I have to serve? Well, that's a different kind. That's not out of obligation. That's out of affection. That's out of love. So it doesn't feel the same as an obligation that's owed. It's rather a gift of the heart. We are no longer separated from God. We have peace in his presence. Do you have peace with God? Because if you don't have peace with God, you won't have peace anywhere else. Not with others, not within. The Prince of Peace also provides peace with others. Jesus' death effects or causes peace with God. But in doing so, It enables peace with others. Have you noticed how that miserable, troubled people love to make other people miserable? 
and trouble them. And you have someone who's always, always an antagonist. And you know there's something dislodged inside. There's a lack of peace, see. There's a lack of holiness. And so sometimes you think, why, do they, why don't they just leave me alone? Oh, I think I'm coming close to home with somebody out there. But it, it starts, don't miss this, it starts with a lack of peace with God. And then this, this unsettled anxiety, this, this fomenting anger, it's just looking for an opportunity to unleash it. So Jesus' death causes peace with God. But it also enables peace with others. But we have a role. And we have a responsibility in practicing peace with others. When we're wronged, anybody been wrong this week? Let me see the hands. You, got, you were wrong this week. Yes. And we will be wronged. And yet, Christians are not only called, Christians are expected to forgive. Even as we've been forgiven of our sins against God. Look at Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And we have been forgiven far more by God than we ever have to forgive another person. All of us want mercy, don't we? All of us want to be forgiven. But many of us refuse to extend mercy and forgiveness to those who've hurt us. Our theme goes like this, mercy for me, but justice for you. And I have a tendency to maximize your offenses against me and minimize my offenses against you. And certainly minimize my offenses against God. And sometimes we justify our attitudes, our unforgiveness, by saying, this person keeps on hurting me. It's not fair that he or she be forgiven without suffering some pain, without being punished. And what makes forgiveness so hard, I think, is that somehow we believe that forgiving someone who has hurt us lets them get away with it. It's not true, it's a lie, but, but we think that, don't we? I'll not forgive. And I can just speculate that there's some in this room who have been harboring unforgiveness 
for decades. And it's burning a hole in your soul, robbing you of joy. But we think, but if I forgive that person, I'm setting them free. They, don't, they, they won't know that they've hurt me. They don't care that they've hurt me. They'll have no negative consequences. I might even believe that forgiving someone makes me vulnerable to being hurt again. Because I'm acting like it didn't really matter to me what you did. Is that ringing true to anyone? I don't think we always consciously think this through. But we sure do behave this way, don't we? And we think, I'll not forgive because we think I've got a grip on you. I'm, quote, holding you accountable. But if we'll listen to the Spirit and ask the Spirit about these issues, we'll be convinced by God's Spirit that our unforgiveness doesn't control our offenders. Our unforgiveness merely robs us of inner peace and even peace with God. Because see, the problem is you can't have peace with God while you harbor unforgiveness toward other people. If you can discover that your unforgiveness is damaging only you, I think you'll forgive. And you'll be freed. Furthermore, you can trust God to execute justice fully and fairly because he sees all things. Colossians 3.15 And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Is there someone you need to forgive? Does anybody have any forgiveness work that needs to, to be done this Christmas? Let me see a hand or two if there's some hands out there. I want to see them. Now, I'm not saying that you can reconcile. Understand this. Reconciliation requires two. Forgiveness requires one. Okay, can we, can we take a second and practice this forgiveness? I want to see those hands again. You've got some forgiveness that you need to do. You all close your hand, close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. I don't want to embarrass anyone. If you have some forgiveness work you need to do, I'd like you to stand. People, just keep your eyes closed. We're not trying to embarrass anyone. But here's a, here's a moment. And I'd like for you to say, you, you can say it quietly, you can whisper it, you can even think it. And say, name the person and say, I forgive you. And then name what you need to forgive the person for. State it clearly. And then say, 
by the grace of God and because he's forgiven me, I forgive and I release you. Then I want you to open your hands and let this person go. Thank you. The Prince of Peace provides also peace within ourselves. Forty days after his birth, Jesus was taken to the temple. You see, after a woman delivered a child, there had to be a purification offering made for the mother. And so there was a purification offering made, offered for Jesus' mother. But it was also an occasion to dedicate a firstborn child, which Jesus was, to the Lord. So we look at Luke chapter 2. There was a man there. He was a righteous and devout man. Do you know his name? Simeon. And Simeon had been awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. We don't know how many years. But Simeon had been told by the Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Imagine being told that. Imagine what your life would be like each day. As you walked around, as you heard a new child was being born, would you wonder, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? But Simeon, this particular day, was led by the Spirit to the temple complex. Imagine his excitement. And so he arrived there in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 28. Simeon was there. Now, this would not have been in the, in the, the inner holy, the holy place, or the, certainly not the holy of holies, but not even the holy place. This would have probably been in the women's court, a more public area where men and women and children could be. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. A number of things are unusual about this man. Here's a Jewish man, a righteous man, a man devoted to God, But he desires the salvation not just of the Jews, but also of all people, including the Gentiles. You know what I think? We've heard so much in these last two years about racial division, political division, all this stuff. The answer is Christ. I think if we experience the Spirit of God, if we are born again, if we know what it is to have peace with God, we will have peace with others. And 
It won't matter what color, what superficial color their skin is or even where they come from or, or what their social standing is. I think what we're missing is knowing the Spirit of God and experiencing peace with God. And I think when that happens, these, these, all this conflict and debate and argument, it's nonsensical. When we are filled and led by the Spirit, we want God's salvation, God's blessing, God's peace on all people. Simeon praised God for this blessing. But how many of us would be like Simeon? See, Simeon had come to live for the birth of the Savior. That's what he was awaiting. That's what motivated him every day to get up, I think. But, but now he said, okay, I can die in peace because I've seen the Savior that'll reveal God to all people. Would we be there? Or would we have thought, oh no, now I'll die. You know, folks, we're, we're awful attached to this world, aren't we? And we assume heaven and eternity and all those things are going to play out. But we're spending most of our time, our frustration, our energy, our effort, our focus on this world. Simeon's peace was found in experiencing personally the fulfillment of God's plan and God's purpose, which did include his own salvation. But how much have we owned what God wants so that when God's finished with us, we are ready to go? You're ready now. Do we find peace? in being saved, and knowing God personally, and having a secure future in heaven, and following God's will on earth? Or do we truthfully seek satisfaction from our surroundings? personal prosperity, possessions, excellent health. Folks, we don't know where this culture's going. We don't know where this culture's going. The government will rest on his shoulders, but we're not sure how friendly the government might be to us in the days ahead. So where's our, where's our sense of peace? It better be in God because it's a, it's a move in landscape right now. Inner peace cannot be obtained 
from anything this world offers. Do you know that? Then why are you striving so hard for that thing? John 14, 27. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Do we know that? So don't be troubled or afraid. What is that thing you want so badly in this world? Money, fame, popularity, influence. What is it you want so badly? I'll go ahead and tell you, it it won't give you peace. Because the peace this world gives is transitory. It's dependent on pleasant circumstances. On an absence of conflict. On having no stress, having no problems, having no difficulties. But is that possible? No. John 16, 33, look at this one. I have told you all this so that you may have peace, but where is it? It's only in Christ. Only in Christ. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. And so, how do we experience this peace? What's, what's happening? I mean, in this state, there's relative freedom, but there may not be always. Some places you can't shop or you can't go in restaurants. Some of you have been vaccinated. Some of you have not been vaccinated. We don't know what the future holds here. We don't, everything's unproven. So where can we find peace? Finding a better source of information? I'll give you two on each side and you... Our our peace won't be found externally. But we can have peace right now in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of future conflict that may arise. But it's going to be through intimacy with Jesus. It's going, and how do you, how do you have intimacy with Jesus? Well, unfortunately, a lot of us say we have it, but we never take the steps necessary to achieve it. Do you think you can have it without some effort and time? I don't think you can. I don't think you can. Yes, I've said five minutes. Well, you told us this only takes five minutes. That isn't what I told you. I urge you to start each day with five minutes with Christ. My hope and my belief was that five minutes in the presence of Christ would cause you not to leave after five minutes. But we have to learn 
to live in the presence of Christ even though we're walking in this world. So continual time of prayer, continual time of meditation. Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Plenty of things in, this, in our culture, in our country, in our world today to worry about. But so were there in the time of Paul's writing, certainly in the time of Jesus' life on earth, their lives were threatened, arrest always hung over their, their heads. Paul was believed to have been put to death, eventually imprisoned, and we looked at how many difficulties he'd had. And yet he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to tell him what you're upset about. It's okay to tell him what you're afraid about. It's okay to tell him how you would like this world to operate. It's okay to tell him. And then thank him for all he has done. It's amazing how gratitude draws us toward God. Then you will experience God's peace. Which exceeds anything we can understand. You know, how can we have peace today? We, the toys aren't even going to be delivered. The trucks aren't rolling. Because you'll have peace you don't understand. Because it won't be peace based on the circumstances of this world. But you've got to be able to leave this world by entering the presence of Christ in reality by the Spirit. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds. As you live in this world, no, no. You function in this world, but you live in Christ Jesus. Do you possess peace? You know, we're rolling through another Christmas and we talk about peace on earth. Don't let this one go by without you experiencing the peace of Christ. Peace with God. Peace with others. Peace within yourself. Our volunteers will be here, counselors. They'll be at the, in the care connection room. They're here to talk with you, to pray with you, to anoint you with oil for healing. Don't turn loose of this Christmas until you experience God's greatest gift, his inexpressible gift, his incomparable gift of Christ, and you know the peace of God. Counselors will be here. Y'all stand. Let me give you a benediction. I, I, I want to pray a blessing over you. Declare a blessing from 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself 
give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. Father, we thank you that you sought us. You offered us peace when we were far away. Lord, I pray you know each one's heart and mind. I pray that you would plant peace in each one. If they don't know you personally, this would be the, the, the day to draw them into relationship. If there's a conflict with another, I pray you would give them the grace to forgive so that they might have peace with you, peace with others, peace within. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. Our memory verse is Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Next week, we'll begin a new four-part series, What's the Point? You can prepare by reading Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And we'll hope you'll join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service at 2, 3.30, or 5 p.m. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with all of our series. If you like this podcast, please leave a review so others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening and have a great week.